0: Hello, and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I'm joined as usual by my wonderful co host Lee.
1: Hello. It's
0: been a while since I've had to say that. I, I, I don't
1: know how usual it is. But... I know, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and we might hear some weird baby noises in the background. Either
1: baby or cat noises. I yeah. apologize in advance. It's become
0: there we go. <laughs> perfect timing.
1: Uh, but how have you been? Yeah, good, good. Oh, yeah. Um, been watching lots of movies as per our 2022 wrap-up. Mm-hmm. I watched a new one recently, Babylon.
0: Ooh, yes. I am so interested in what you thought about Babylon.
1: So I watched it with Josh and my husband, and he loved it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I myself did
0: not. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I find that's the case because, yeah, I loved it and Claire did not. Yeah. So I'm wondering, yeah, what what didn't vibe for you with it?
1: I think uh, it was a bit self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the characters weren't really, you couldn't really attach yourself to them or, or um, sympathize with them, empathize. Um, they were just a little bit cartoonish. It was overload for me, yep. sensory overload. Yep, yep. However, I did love probably the first half mm-hmm. in terms of a lot of the behind-the-scenes film stuff of the time.
0: Yeah, like I'm guessing you had no idea that Spike Jones was going to be in the movie as a psychotic German director. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, lots of little cameos and things. Um, yeah, but I think overall it was a little bit too much, um, and I did not like the ending. Yeah. Um, That's I, I won't spoil. No, if but I, haven't I, seen I, I don't it, but. know
0: if I brought it up on. Uh, no, my, I think it was just a, a, the last episode I did with Eric. I mentioned that I kind of love the ending, like the, yes. the, the 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 scene. Like you know, I think we know.
1: I think I'm thinking the scene before that with the... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna to i I'm gonna do put a bleep in here <laughs> yeah. really close, But
1: didn't mind that.
0: Okay, yeah that's I like
1: that. I meant the rat bit.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. That yeah, whole that's... sequence
1: was unnecessary and horrific.
0: Yeah, it's just like after all of this we realize the bowel and the depth that we can kind of go into, but sure, whatever. But no yeah, I'm I'm meaning like the the very end end yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I told said to Eric like it's a bold choice to end your movie like that. I think
1: that's what I mean about self-indulgence.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, it was one where, like, I just, I kind of burst out laughing and just started, like, loving it when it yeah. happened. It, it, when I saw it at the cinema, I was just like, this is so insane that this is in here, and yeah. I kind of love it and it makes me love this movie. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just excess.
1: I think um, the scene, my favourite, is the scene with uh, the very first them trying to film talking.
0: Yeah, and oh, it's
1: so insane
0: amazing the that scene the intensity
1: of that scene is chef's yeah. kiss but she, then there's just it's just so much all the time
0: yeah I just love as well like Margot Robbie so great like just the mother fuck. <laughs> 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 and then like I would love the first AD Um, I forget their actor's name but he's one of the crew in like uh, Wolf of Wall Street and stuff but just yeah. they're like get the fuck back in there oh, when he yeah, finally yeah, has yeah, his yeah. out like so amazing <laughs> so yeah. good yeah I loved the woman who plays the director as well she was fantastic yeah. turns out she produced the film and is Damien Chazelle's uh, wife.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: but I thought she was... um, Because I was like, she looks so familiar as an actress, but no, like, yeah, I thought she was amazing in the film.
2: Lots
1: of great little performances. Mm. Um, I thought it was really meta yeah. with um, Brad Pitt. Yeah. The, I... you, the top of his game, but then, you know, well, it's not like he is m- losing it or losing mm. popularity, but... You can see, like, maybe that's a fear of his, that that one might d- happen one day.
0: Yeah, totally. It, weirdly for me, I, he was, like, the one element that I, that kind of didn't work for me for the movie. Um, he starts off so strong and flamboyant and, like, playboy-type t- guy, and but then the despair and the misery, it's just, like, uh, it, I couldn't kind of pick w- what archetype he's kind of really trying to play, and I don't know if, like... I, I had the thought of, like, if it was someone else in the role, like just off the top of my head, like George Clooney or something, like just yes. someone with a little bit more likability and charisma. Because yep. Brad Pitt seems more of like a kind of character actor
2: yep.
0: In the hidden in the body of a leading man, whereas you kind of needed a real, like, leading man, handsome, like, you know, yep. just one of those type of people, I think, hmm. would kind of, for me, would have worked a little bit better.
1: And you thought Margot Robbie was great? Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Her and the rivalry with Samara Weaving was just yeah. <laughs> chef's kiss. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I, I still really dig that movie. I want to give it another watch, actually, when I have another spare four hours. <laughs> I
1: think that was the other thing.
0: I was like, Jesus, when will this end? Yeah, it's it's long. Like, Claire was not happy.
2: <laughs>
0: so, I'm like, we're at, we're at the premiere. Just go get more champagne. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, I've seen a bunch of stuff since the last recording, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, two things that I really did not like and one thing that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like shitting on movies all that much, so I'll just kind of uh, quickly say uh, The Whale was not for me.
1: Damn, I'm really looking forward to seeing that.
0: Yeah, which is why... Because you'd mentioned while we were watching Tales of Hoffman that you just re-watched um, Black Swan. So yes. I kind of want to revisit a bunch of Aronofsky to yeah. be like, how was it like... But yeah, the way I just think he was the wrong director for that movie. Okay. Because all of his films kind of are about like the misery of human existence. <laughs>
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: And this is kind of what the whale is. But at the same time, the central character is kind of gripping onto hope, and like you've seen the trailer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, I can imagine. the trailer shot where Brendan Fraser is like, "People are amazing." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. it's it's wanting that hope and that positivity, but it's Aronofsky, so it's just mired in misery
1: yeah and it
0: just kind of doesn't doesn't, hit the mark doesn't hit the mark and it kind of comes across as like you're kind of making fun of this like this thing Uh, like i I, it's yeah i don't don't know it just rubbed me the wrong way like you know how much of an easy cry i am yeah like i cried anything in a movie
1: yeah
0: that move like when i left to go see that close it's like grab like you know have your tissues uh did not not didn't even well up once Hmm. that's how like disconnected i was right so.
1: Well, I've heard that yeah, the reviews out of it aren't great. Well, performance-wise, yeah, amazing, yeah. but as a whole, complete film, maybe not so much.
0: Didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, the other one that I will just quickly say, I watched um, the Sun, which is Florian Zeller's new film, uh, he, he who made the father, um, and all I will say about the Sun is uh, it is a big old bowl of farts. <laughs> Like,
1: I, I want to see it now. <laughs> it,
0: it it the the credits came up and I flipped off the screen. Oh. Like I hated that film.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: I hated hated that film. Interesting. Or like pretty much had a visceral response on the same level I did as uh, Zemeckis' Pinocchio. <laughs> yep. I I yeah. Woo! That yeah, <laughs> that's all I say. Just the sun, bowl of farts. <laughs>
1: it's uh, nice to hear you poo poo a film. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like you so rarely do it. I, it's like yeah.
0: It's if I don't like something, I kind of don't talk about. But the sun, I just so aggressively hated. Mm. And having loved his previous film, and you know, it, it just was. Whew, Interesting. So. Um, but the one that I saw that I absolutely loved, I, I got to go and see uh, Women... I went and saw Women Talking, mm. which is a fucking banger.
1: Someone's nominated for that, aren't
0: they? Uh, it's nominated for Best screen Adapted Screenplay, yeah. uh, writer-director Sarah Polly, uh, who used to be an actress. She was uh, the lady in Go, if you ever saw or remember that movie. Yeah. She's the redhead one who's like trying to do the drug deal and stuff.
1: I think so, yeah. And
0: yeah. way back when she was in Terry Gilliam's um, Baron Munchausen movie as a little kid, like, yeah, actress uh, turned writer director. And um, so she adapted this off this uh, famous book, directed it, and it's also nominated for Best Picture. So it was the last of the Best Picture nominees I had to see. And I fucking loved it. And it is getting my money for uh, adapted screenplay. I think nice. it's going to win that. Yeah. Um, it 's exactly what the title says. it is just women talking and it 's fucking amazing
1: as <laughs> you so a man say that yeah
0: no it, it is a ama- and it 's all about how men are disgusting and horrible oh. and neat like it, <laughs> no but it's it 's um, an amazing film i I loved it really i I thought it was great um, do you know anything about it
1: only that it 's nominated for things yeah. like I would have seen it on the list, but it's- never
0: What's the trailer or anything? Yeah, it's about a um, the women in a Mennonite community.
1: What's a Mennonite? It's
0: kind of like Amish. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, who uh, basically uh, have been for generations being uh, attacked and repeatedly raped and things by the men in the community mm. until finally our two young girls uh, catch one of the men who then rats out some of the others and they get arrested. And so all of the rest of the men in the community have gone into town to post bail on these men. And so the two-day trip that it's going to be, uh, by the time the men get back, the women have to have decided to forgive the men or, uh, leave and not get in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's all the women in the community put a vote, whether they're going to stay and do nothing, whether they're going to fight or whether they're going to leave. And then it's based on that vote of the whole community, uh, representatives from kind of each of the families. Like it's a group of like 10 women sit around in the barn and openly discuss what we should do now. So and it, it's amazing. It's
1: kind of like Twelve Angry Men in style. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah.
0: And there's one man in the film, and it's Ben Wishaw, who's uh, August, who's the school teacher, who's come back to the community to teach the boys. Is there taking the minutes for them? It's beautiful. It's mm. so great. Uh, Claire Foy, um, yeah. Jesse Buckley, who from the yes. last, uh, the Lost Daughter, yeah. um, Rooney Mara, like just incredible. Francis McDormand produced it and shows up. She's got a very small role in it as well. Like. Yeah, I fucking loved this movie. I I really, really dug it and and get why people were so happy it got the picture nomination and...
1: Yeah. Yeah. It'll it'll probably, you think, have the nomination but not win.
0: No, but I think she is a shoo-in for adapted screenplay based on, like, what else is nominated, so...
1: Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this year in terms of the awards.
0: I have no fucking idea. Yeah. Like, it's getting close now and I've kind of got to, like, figure out my ballots, I guess... Um, I'm. I was telling Claire. I'm very tempted at this point, because uh, at the time of recording this, like a couple of days ago, was the Academy luncheon, mm-hmm. where it's like all everyone who's nominated is there having a lunch and stuff, and there's this video going around of Spielberg and Tom Cruise like kind of reconnecting and yeah. reuniting again and giving each other big hugs.
1: Cat <laughs> cat fight.
0: Cat fight. Yeah, that that's how Spielberg and Cruise <laughs> used to be. <laughs> um, and like it's over. You overhear Spielberg saying. Your ass saved cinema. Like, your film saved, might have saved theatrical distribution as we know. It's just yeah, like, I oh, that. shit. Okay. Does Is the that old...
1: because it, it had a blockbuster kind of release?
0: It's one of the, I think, the sixth highest grossing film of all time now. What like, about Avatar 2? Or the, yeah, no one gives a shit about Big Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was the thing of. Top Gun was the first thing that brought people back to the cinemas. Yeah. And seeing Spielberg react that way makes me feel like, oh, fuck, are the older generation going to. Kind of give it that And so I'm, I think I'm going to put ten bucks On our Top Gun and see if it pays out <laughs> See if I walk away with like Eight hundred dollars or something Jeez that's funny Yeah I don't know I have no fucking idea How it's going to go now
1: It is interesting the nominees
0: Yeah because it's like how much we both love Everything Everywhere mm. But it seems so weird that that's going to win Best Picture Yeah I, I, it, I It probably will but it's I'd weird I'd like it to
1: but I don't think it will.
0: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But then it's like, what are, like, Fableman's not real, like, no one saw Fableman, so... <laughs> the Reader?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't watch The Reader? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, I, yeah, I have no fucking idea how it's all gonna shake out, but it's yeah. in, like, three weeks as well, Is so... It? Yeah. So, I don't know. Interesting. Well. Yeah, if you can't tell, we're procrastinating about <laughs> <laughs> this week's film. But uh, yeah, we watched uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's The Tales of Hoffman. Uh, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger create a phantasmagoric marriage of cinema and opera in this one-of-a-kind take on a classic story. In Jacques Offenbach's fantasy opera The Tales of Hoffman... A poet dreams of three women, a mechanical performing doll, a bejeweled siren, and a compulsive daughter of a famous composer, all of whom break his heart in different ways. Powell and Pressburger's feverishly romantic adaptation is a feast of music, dance, and visual effects, and one of the most exhilarating opera films ever produced. Yeah. yeah, phasmagoric. Phantasmagoric.
1: Phantasmagoric.
0: That is a pretty wonderful word. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just going to go right off the bat. Uh, the first note I took while we were watching this was, I'm sorry, I'm a philistine.
1: Yes, I also made the exact same note on my page saying, I think I'm a philistine.
0: Look, it's, just getting this out of the way, Um, I... And this is not to say that I didn't like this film, because I liked a lot of this yeah. film. Um, I don't like opera. yes. Uh, it's it's an art form that I respect immensely, and I think the people that get something out of it, like I, good for the, like I respect them as well, like that's fantastic. It's yep. just an art form that I've never been able to connect with. Um, you and have a
1: lot to do with recordings of opera in yeah. your workplace as well. So you have had a lot of exposure to it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I know a lot about opera. I am exposed to opera quite a bit, and yep. but it's just something that I don't connect with. Connect
1: with. I've seen uh, a couple of operas in my time, mm-hmm. live. I've seen La Triviata and Don Giovanni. Where'd you see them? Um... In Melbourne. In Melbourne, okay, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the exact theaters I went to. But, oh no, yeah, I
0: was wondering like if it was abroad or here. Like... But um, yeah, no,
1: definitely in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember really enjoying them live. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I know we'll get into this. They tend to have uh, two or three or four set pieces, yeah. and very simple uh, storylines and scenes where not much happens. Yeah, but you spend a very long time. Uh, listening to them singing yes. <laughs> about what's happening. And, and you know, if the song or the piece of music is beautiful, it can be really engaging and rewarding to watch. But a lot of it, some of the time, is them, I'm going to sit here, I sit, I'm sitting.
0: That literally happened in this film. I want to sit here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will sit here. <laughs> and I think, yeah, for my... Um, 2023 brain. Yeah, it can be a little bit tedious.
0: Yes, no. I, <laughs> so if yeah.
1: you're here for a breakdown of the opera, yeah. uh, <laughs> you're
0: in the wrong place. <laughs> I, was, I was joking with Lee. It's going to be uh, one of my favourite uh, negative reviews the podcast has ever gotten. Is uh, we got an email, and I think it's uh, might be up on iTunes as well as an old review. Um, somebody listened. Someone was writing a PhD thesis on the uh, opera The Magic Flute. Mm. Um, and decided to listen to Tom and mine's old episode about it as a resource. <laughs> yeah. Mistake. No. Yeah. Don't, like, first of all, no. <laughs> but um, as well, it, it was a thing where it was a, like, filmed version of the Magic Flute and just did not connect with it again still.
1: And was that actually a a filmed... Stage performance?
0: It's more so than this, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, because that's the great thing that this has going for it yes. is it takes the art form of opera and expands it into a cinematic language. Yes. Um, which is fantastic. I was saw a great quote, actually. Um, it's actually... So, reportedly, uh, the director Cecil B. DeMille uh, sent a letter to Powell and Pressburger after seeing the film saying, for the first time in my life... I was treated to the grand opera with the beauty, power and scope of the music where sorry where the beauty, power and scope of the music was equally matched by the visual presentation. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And that that's that's why I don't dislike this film at all. I I liked quite a lot of it. But it was just that kind of bridging that gap of being able to kind of digest it, I guess. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things was When I saw those two operas, they weren't in English. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened is at the top of the stage, they have subtitles. Oh, cool. So, because it's in Italian or Mm. whatever it's in. Um, So, I think even though this was in English, you and I struggled to capture everything that was said. Yeah. And I think within the last 10 minutes, we were like, probably should have watched this with subtitles. Yeah, probably, (laughs) probably. (laughs) Opera is one of those things where it's probably not the clearest to understand just what they're saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, just in terms of the actual digesting of the language, I guess. Yeah. Um, And it also kind of makes for a kind of hard to dissect the film itself, I suppose. Yes. Because it is obviously just a sung opera. Mm. um, And it's... The other aspect of it that makes it really great is the visuals, which is kind of hard to (laughs) translate into an audio medium here.
1: Yeah. I think the visuals in terms of, I'm going to say special effects, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, special special effects that I've never really, I mean, maybe apart from the red shoes, which I know we'll get into, Mm. haven't really, you don't really see much of around this time. And then after this time, special effects have, you know, developed so much that they look, you know, far more realistic. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think I, I'm getting onto the Red Shoes. I was excited for this one because Red Shoes is probably my favourite Criterion.
0: Yeah, it's, oh God, it's one of your favourite films, one full of stop, my favorite isn't it? Films. yeah, full stop. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously it's unfair to compare the two, but in terms of, because is this the only other Powell and Pressburger film you... Probably. Yeah. Uh, Bla- Black Narcissus? Nah. um Life and Death of Colonel Blimp? No. Nah. Uh, we know definitely not Matter of Life and Death because I accidentally thought that might have been this week's film. <laughs> I got them confused. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, okay. Um, so, in terms of, like, the presentation, obviously the Red Shoes is a more narrative, narrative feature. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of, like, the opulence, we'll say, like, the, the grandeur of it, did it kind of match for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, the... Uh, Scenes where it's imaginary and there's paint strokes and very clearly um, set pieces, but um, what's the word? Surreal. Surreal set pieces. And they're very much reminiscent of the red shoes Mm. in the dance sequence.
0: The red shoes. Phantasmagoric. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I I saw on Letterboxd, someone reviewed this, just being like, just saying acid trip.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Like. That's that's kind of the what Pal and Chris... You, pres-
1: you might enjoy it more if you were on us. <laughs> I mean, quite
0: possibly. But, yeah, it is that thing of, I guess, that what they're so well-known for is this kind of otherworldly aspect to their yeah. visuals that they pull off. And it's here in spades. And it's what makes this film engaging, I guess. Yes. Because, like, like, obviously, we've said we're not fans of opera and we kind of were just like, eh, with, a, with it. But at no point were we kind of totally switched off on the yeah. film like we, we were sitting there watching and engaged and
1: every now and then we'd stop and say that's a cool shot or that's mm. a cool effect or that's beautiful or yeah um,
0: like some of the transitions and the scenes were fantastic it were. and it's it's really what makes a Powell and Pressburger film kind of stand out and yeah. makes you realise why they are like the lords of British cinema <laughs> yeah. um
1: made in England <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: stamp, stamp. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, a little bit of context for the production of the film. Um, so obviously this was created in the later, in the latter years of the partnership between Powell and Pressburger. And around this time, they were really interested in, uh, something that they, uh, phrase that they termed called, um, a composed film, Ah. uh, which is a marriage of image to operatic music. Yes. Um, they'd done some previous examples of it, like the finale of Black Narcissus and the ballet sequence in the Red Shoes. Yes. Um, they were kind of them kind of doing steps towards this yes. new kind of merging. Tales of Ho- uh, the Tales of Hoffman is an achievement of this ideal. Um, I'm just flat out reading Wikipedia here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as the entire opera was pre-recorded to create the soundtrack and the film was edited to the rhythms of the music. Mm. The production is completely without dialogue and with the exception of Robert Roundsville and Anne Ayers, none of the actors did their own singings. Blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, so that's basically it. it. It's taking that idea that they were kind of had been toying with in little aspects of their previous films, and it's like, we had a lot of fun doing that. Can we do that for an entire well, film?
1: And I think if you were a fan of the opera and cinema... Yeah. ...you would love this film. I,
0: I think as well, just seeing this in cinemas in 1951 would be amazing. Yes. Like, And I had the thought, like, I was telling you um, while we are watching this that I recently, when saw... Um, D.W. Griffith's uh, Intolerance, like the 1912 like, three-hour oh, yes, black-and-white yes, yes. silent film. I, it was playing at the cinema and the Astor Theatre here in Melbourne. Shout out to the best theatre in the world. <laughs> um, so I went along. I'm like, you know what? I, I know I need to see this film, like tick it off the list and stuff, but it's playing at the cinema. If I go, it's forcing me to actually watch it because otherwise I'm not going to put that on at home. Yes. Like it's oh it's going to be harder for me to kind of sit down and give it my attention. Yes. And I had the thought if this if I saw this at the Astor or at the cinema, I think I would have been engaged and loved a it more. a lot more because having that kind of big scope of the cinema screen yeah. helps you kind of.
1: Well, that's where I watched the. You took me to see the Red Shoes. Yeah, back,
0: mm, way back when.
1: Um, it's an interesting adaptation because I'm, I just couldn't help thinking of the soundstage versus, say, on location somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, Midsummer Night's Dream, that film in the 90s. I know it's on yeah. opera, but it is, you know, an adaptation with the language from the play. Mm-hmm. But it's on location and it's just that little bit more immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, Les Mis, in recent years. Oh, know.
0: yeah, despite the fisheye lenses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and, and saying,
0: Russell Crowe. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm not saying that's... A good adaptation. No, no, no.
0: But like a, a stage, a, uh, something that was stage that is now adapted. Yeah,
1: to... and it's it's interesting because both of those, you know, in late years they're singing the whole time, just mm. like this. Um, yeah, and it's I don't know, it's it just it it still felt like a a film stage production at times, mm-hmm. um, but then every now and then it would splice in something very cinematic. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I see, this is good.
0: The the sort of, unlike those other films, it's, it's not out in the real world. Like, it's not taking yes. it out there. And so being confined to the stages, as, like, kind of big and grand as they are, it still kind of keeps it within that realm of But I, I
1: suppose, like, most films back then were filmed on stages. Yeah,
0: yeah, I suppose. And especially, like, but that's the thing, like, the the staging and stuff that they do, I think, is amazing with what they kind of construct within the space yeah, that they're yeah. using. Yeah. Um, yeah, did we want to go through the the three stories, I guess?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Um, the first one Okay, first of all, which which was your favorite? <laughs>
1: um the first one, even the though
0: The story of Olympia. <laughs> yes.
1: What was your favorite?
0: Uh probably the story of Olympia because it was I, it was so wacky and kind of yes. fun, but I loved the style of the second one with Julietta, yes. The kind of dark weirdness. Mm-hmm. I, I liked how that looked. Yes. But the story of the first one, I, I really dug.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so the, the first story is uh, Olympia, who is an automaton. <laughs> uh, she's created <laughs> by a scientist and uh, a magical spectacle maker. Uh, Hoffman falls in love with the doll, uh, ignorant of her being a robot. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> he
1: got himself a sex doll. Yeah. Good for him.
0: But the funny thing is, when she came out and like they place her, like we we didn't know that's where it was going. And like when the scientist comes out and he's like carrying her, <laughs> like made the joke of like, well, I found me a woman, and then you instantly <laughs> said my sex doll is ready, and that's what it ends up being. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you called it.
1: I um, know.
0: Um, but yeah, it, it's it's.
1: It was a bit hard to follow, though. Yeah. I've got to be honest. It was a bit hard to follow. But, yes, those costumes of the marionettes or the automatrons.
0: No, I think she's the only automaton, but then the rest of them are kind of puppets. Okay. Creepy as
1: fuck. Yeah. Terrifying.
0: Terrifying. That
1: whole sequence was terrifying.
0: But that's why I think it's my favourite, because it's so fucking weird.
1: I think by the end, we'll get into the last one, but it becomes a bit more traditional opera, yes. but this one still was a very yeah, wacky, mm. cinematic, crazy, yeah.
0: surreal, trippy. Sur- surreal and trippy is the way to go about it. Um, but, and as well, like we couldn't help but love the fact that Hoffman is kind of dressed like... I mean, the guy's facial features, I will say, um, what's his name? Uh, Robert, uh, Robert Rousenville. He basically looks kind of like David Hasselhoff. Yes. But he dresses like Prince. Prince. <laughs> <laughs> He's so, got it all. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, this guy's living his best life. <laughs> Having sex with robots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but,
1: um, but it was interesting, this sequence... Um, <sighs> You could tell that the ballerinas weren't singing.
0: Yes. Oh, God. The
1: sinking wasn't great.
0: And the second Robert Heltman started singing and he's like... The (laughs) deepest voice. I'm like, that voice does not go with that body. Like, it just doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) It was so disturbing. And that kind of happens a few times. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it's... I don't know, like... the, The visual styling of this one, again, like, in... It's it's kind of the colour palettes they manage to use throughout all three different sections to help kind of separate isolate them. it and separate it. Like this being just so gold and shiny, I guess obviously lending itself to the mechanical nature of yep. Moira Shira, who we haven't mentioned yet as well. Yes. Uh she of the red shoes.
1: She's a beautiful dancer.
0: Yeah, incredible.
1: When she flops down as the doll, you're like, whoa.
0: And they're having to, like, crank and wind her back up. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: then they pull her apart. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's, it's like, so it's obviously the style, the costumes, the the design of the sets and things, but also the way that Powell and Pressburger are filming it. It's, it, it's, I love old musicals and performance stuff like this. Like, they just sit the camera back. Yes. And just, it's a wide shot and just let the performer do their thing. And you, the audience, are wowed by it. You don't need to cut, 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 like you see in modern musicals. Um, I think
1: that's what I was trying to get at before when I was saying, as the soundstage versus the live action. Not Mm. that one's better than the other, or it's just, um, yeah, it's a different beast. Yeah, yeah.
0: But it's also, I mean, you don't have to be an old style movie to do that. Like Spielberg's West Side Story was amazingly constructed, because. I mean, fuck he's Steven Spielberg, and he knows how to shoot things. Yes. But, like, I watched the, the Matilda musical on Netflix, and mm. it, it broke my brain. Wow. Because they're just, everything's in close ups, and they're doing, like, mid shots from shoulder up. I'm like, what? We can't see what, the, what you're doing. Like, the they're point. They're shooting it like a TV show or something, yes, rather yes, than a stage. Production. They're shooting it for, like, and editing it like the YouTube generation. I, yes. I say, as part of the YouTube <laughs> generation, but, like, they're not, they're didn't shoot it like you would shoot a musical or to show off the performance and set
1: pieces yeah location and
0: that's what's kind of great about pal and pressburger they want to show off the work that everyone's done and it's not just the performers the singers the dancers it's it's the set decorations the costumes they kind of just want to sit back and let you yes. take it all in kind of like you're at the opera watching a show mm um, but then, obviously, flicking in the odd little elements of flair and cinematic design, like...
1: Yeah, and it just... you wouldn't get that on a stage production. No. That therefore, warranting the film's
0: existence. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, the second one, like, is where it kind of... they really go to town on all the special effects, though.
1: Yeah, because we have the mirror. Yes. The, ref- the reflection in the mirror. Um,
0: um, I'll, I'll just say quickly, so Hoffman's now in Venice. Uh, he falls for Julietta, a courtesan, who uh, but she seduces him to steal his reflection for uh, her magician friend. Mm. Um, so, Why? We don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was there in the singing. <laughs> but um, I just wrote, like, my note for this one was, in the second story, Hoffman is a fucking rube. <laughs> <laughs> He, like, this is my one beef, like, I mean, I know I'm approaching, it's a classic opera, so I shouldn't take to it the modern day elements of narrative and storytelling and structure and stuff, but... My, I just was like, this motherfucker falls in love so easily. Yes. <laughs> he's he like I think I said to you like he seems like a guy who has had his reflection stolen before.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Like he, he he's been here before. I don't feel he's...
1: sorry for this guy at all. No. no.
0: <laughs> but um, it is this is the one where it's like the sorcery and the design of it all, like the systematically going through the sorcerer, the magician kind of turning the wax into diamonds and yeah. rubies and jewels. Like, so cool. It is so cool. And it's all done practically. It's him doing, like, sleight of hand stuff. Yeah. Like, it's so great. Mm. And then, yeah, obviously the effects when... Yeah, he himself, when he first comes, he comes steps out of the mirror as well. Like yeah. They're really kind of toying with that early special effects stuff that we kind of saw in the Red Shoes yeah, a bit definitely. earlier.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely love this one. And um, I'm going to forget her name.
0: Oh, oh, Catwoman Lady. Catwoman Lady <laughs> in
1: her cat suit. Um, she is beautiful. Was it Ludmilla? I think so, Ludmilla. Yeah. And she's also in The Red Shoes. She plays the first ballerina mm. that um, Moira, because I don't know the character's name in The Red Shoes, takes over.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, she's gorgeous. I could just stare at her face. But that's so funny. It's such a thing back in olden films where the lady tilts her head back when it's a close up scene between two lovers. Mm -hmm. And it's like before they kiss, they speak close speak. Yeah, and it's like almost like they're kissing, but they're not. Yeah, the head tilted back, and all we could think of was this, like, "Geez,
0: I reckon his broke with steam." Oh, oh God, yeah. What were they serving it for? Craft service lunch? Yeah. <laughs> well, Tuna t- t- fish again? Yeah. So,
1: but there's a bit of a charm to it. I love it. Yeah,
0: it is that whole thing of like, I get, I, it's weird to watch because it is like very much the man, like the woman, kind of like leaning out of the close up so the man can be the focus, which yeah. works. I mean, obviously for this because Hoffman is the focus. Mm. Um, but yeah, and it, but it does the, like I've got. The the vapors. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fainting of the old style women. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, and then how this one just slowly develops into like the sword fight on the gondolas. Mm-hmm. Like it's so simple the way that they are like having the gondolas just like shift across the stage. But it just looks great.
1: It does. Like
0: it looks like a picture book almost.
1: Yeah, it does. Hand drawn.
0: Yeah, because that's the thing. Like all the matte painting shots as well that they're using. They're so kind of. Like, I don't want to say crudely done because they're not they're beautiful then but it's, it's a choice it's yeah. not like
1: it's it's amateur it's a choice yeah. and it looks surreal and it adds to the
0: mystique yeah and I wonder if like it adds definitely to that otherworldliness nature of it but I wonder if it's as well they kind of have done it in a more theatrical style to help kind of really hammer home that point of it's we're watching something that hasn't been done on film before we're watching opera but on film. Like, yeah,
1: I'm wondering, you know, if if any opera stage productions, ballets had been recorded on mm. film before this time or if this was like the first sort of dabbling of the two? I think, it,
0: yeah, I could I don't
1: know, but I'm wondering.
0: I had a look around online to try and find that out and couldn't really get a definitive source or anything on that. I'm sure there were like filmed instances of yeah, individual things, but not like necessarily an entire production, yeah. I suppose. Mm. And then we get into the third story, which is, like you'd mentioned earlier, it's the most kind of grounded Mm. of the three. Like, we're slowly, we start off with such a fantastical story about, like, a robot girl, and then a little bit more, not necessarily grounded, but, like, you know, more in the real world, I guess, with Mm. the sorcerer and stuff, and then finally... Into this more realistic-y one. That ends up going kind of batshit crazy towards the end. Yes, yeah. In the most wonderful way. Mm. Um, But this was the one that I was kind of starting to really feel the length on.
1: Yeah, and you could tell the um, actress or the singer in this one wasn't...
0: Uh, Ah, Anne Ayers, yeah.
1: Wasn't a ballerina. She was doing the music. She was, yeah, good. (laughs)
0: Yeah, being the only, <laughs> this is the problem with this one. It's, it's a tough one to be like, yes, and then, yeah, mm. <laughs> the singing was good. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, and I mean as well, like going back to the overall thing, it is, uh, I mean, putting aside the operatic nature of it, it being some like, you know, hard to like, you know, connect yes. in something that's being totally sung to you in that operatic style. I just didn't like Hoffman as a character. Like I said, he was a fucking rube.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he sort of comes in and we're, we're, yeah, we're establishing the other characters around him more than we are establishing him sometimes. Mm.
0: But, I mean, I guess he, he's kind of that blank slate kind of guy. He is supposed to be that every man that the audience is supposed to connect with. And he's like a foolhardy, like, you know, a fool in love kind of. Easily falls in love and easily gets duped. Mm. And it's that woe is me kind of elements of all of the loves that he's had and he's lost kind of thing. But at the same time, it, it just it's that little bit of a tricky thing to connect, and all of the supporting characters that are filled out around him are just way more interesting. Way more interesting. <laughs> Give me Robert Helpman's eyebrows any day. Oh,
1: man, they're out of
0: control. They're connecting. They're tying together like a dreadlock in the middle of his face. He
1: looked like the moths. or the... <laughs> We couldn't work out if they were moths oh, or yeah. dragonflies in the, uh, the... It's almost like
0: the, the prologue. Yeah, the prologue, yeah. but. The... Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, <laughs> the last one. Uh, he falls in love with uh, the daughter of a famous opera singer and, the, and a composer and uh, who is suffering from an illness, and if she sings again, she's going to die, and then she gets, um, uh, the, an evil doctor convinces her to sing and she dies.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Pretty much. Yeah, but the scene where she sings is fucking amazing. Mm. Like, again, this is where it goes full nuts phantasmagorical. I'm going to keep saying that word. Yeah. Um, with the doctor, multiple violins, like, the way they've shot it, like, how, like, layering him multiple times within the frame. And then that beautiful, again, storybook kind of imagery of her essentially ascending up to heaven to meet her dead opera singer mother, like... And then the father coming out, seeing that she's singing, she's going to die, but can't help be, be overcome with the beauty of what her voice, and so he gets wrapped up and is, like, conducting her to do it. It's, it's fantastic. It is. But I just wish I cared a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's like, I get it. Yeah. But, um, yeah.
0: Hmm. Mm. Um, I mean, overall, in terms of the Powell and Pressburger films that I've seen through doing this podcast, I, this is at the bottom for me.
1: It's style over substance, would we say? Kind of, which... Because the, stu- the substance for us is opera, and opera is something we, we just don't... Yeah. have a lot of connection with.
0: Which, like, it's great that you say that because, actually, um, the New York Times film critic who reviewed this at, at its world premiere, uh, Bowsley Carrother, which is a, definitely someone who works for the New York Times <laughs> reviewing in 1951. Bowsley Carrother. Um, <laughs> This is his quote uh, from the review. Despite its opulence, coupled with brilliant rendering of the score by the uh, Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the mastering of singing, yada, 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 a host of vocal chords. The film version of the opera is, in toto, a vastly weary, wearying show. Mm. And that is because it sates the senses without striking any real dramatic fire. The inevitable question about this picture is how close uh, does it come to matching the beauty and the excitement of the same producer's film, The Red Shoes. Although the two films are basically different, a compassionate... Uh, A comparison is fair to this extent. The Red Shoes has warmth and vitality. Tales of Hoffman is splendid and cold.
1: Hmm.
0: And I think...
1: 100%. I think that's hit the mark.
0: Splendid. It is so splendid. It is a gorgeous thing to look at. And it's, like you said, it is a great thing that this film exists. But it is... I am just left feeling a little bit cold. Yes. And I don't know if that is because... I don't like opera. Yes. I didn't connect with the character of Hoffman himself. I couldn't kind of connect on that narrative level with it or mm. what. But it's it's a film I would definitely recommend for people to see if they like gorgeous-looking films mm. because that's what Powell and Pressburger do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's out of them all. I would put this at the bottom, but that's not to say it's bad.
1: Yes. I, mean.
0: I, I, I prefer their... Their visual flourishes and styles when they are grounded in a more traditional narrative, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But on this note, um, we've talked about uh, what Cecil B. DeMille thought about this film, uh, what Bowsley Carruthers thought of the film. (laughs) Uh, Lee, this is the first time you've been on since I've introduced this new segment. Uh, Let's find out what Marty thinks about it. So I'll introduce this to you, Lee. Uh, this is a new segment uh, that has popped up over the last year where uh, if Mart- we find out if Martin Scorsese had anything to say about this movie, and if so, what did Marty think about it?
1: I love this segment.
0: <laughs> uh, so let's hear from Marty now. Um, I've actually managed to find some great video of Marty talking about this film, so I'm going to just drop in the audio of him so he can uh, tell you himself.
2: You are about to see a picture that is very special to me. Michael Powell and Eric Pressburger's film, The Tales of Hoffman. Um, this was the uh, the first of their films that I saw on this television program back in the, in the early 50s called Million Dollar Movie. Of course, it was shown in black and white, uh, and it was edited down to an hour and 40 minutes with commercial interruptions. Um, but even before I had a chance to experience the picture in three-strip technicolor uncut in a movie theater, I became kind of obsessed and entranced by the picture. I had seen Red Shoes in the theater when it was released. And of course it was filled with music and dance. And uh, This film was music and dance. The music and the choreography of both the dancers and the camera told the stories. And this is something that stayed with me in my own work over the years. Um, uh, In all my films, uh, the, the choreography of the camera played to the music and how the two are combined and how the two complement each other in a Powell and pressburger wanted to make a composed film and this truly truly is a composed film unlike anything um i had ever seen before
0: but yeah so i mean he it's it's one where he definitely listening to him talk about it there like obviously he fucking froths Powell and pressburger <laughs> um and it's one where you kind of like you said, he's, he's been subconsciously kind of studying it. You can see a lot of the way that the camera moves, the production design. Like, you he, he can see kind of elements that he was kind of taken and evolved into his work and stuff. So, it's interesting.
1: It is interesting because he is talking about it from a film um, standpoint rather than opera.
0: Yes. And, again, being someone who saw it at a young age when it first came out and stuff and being kind of taken by having not seen anything like that, being entranced by it, it's, yeah. it's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Love that segment. Let's keep
0: that going. Oh yeah, for sure. It's 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 Does been he some comment on many of them. I I most films that I'm like I'm, I want to see if Marty had anything to say about this, <laughs> and I found there was quite a few. So nice. Yeah. Um. But I mean, do you have any final thoughts, or do you want me to get into some trivia? You can get into
1: some trivia.
0: Yeah. I mean, the only other final thoughts I've got on my notes is um, I wrote down that I think ballet dancers would have really boring sex.
1: Yes, but please explain
0: why. <laughs> well, I, I said this while we were watching, and it's because, like, you look at... And I don't know if it's because I just saw Magic Mike's last, last Dance and there's a big sexy ballet scene in that that's essentially they're f- fucking on stage I've almost. Um, and it, but it's that thing of they give so much and it's such a sensual and in, intimate kind of performance and, like, kind of so charged that when they get to, off stage and in the bedroom, they're just like, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't. They don't It's like I, I left it all out on the stage, honey. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Actually, I had a, a thought. I didn't mention um, sexy Elton John magic glasses.
0: Oh yeah, give me all that. <laughs> Actually, that was the other note I had. Was why don't we dress like this all the time? Yeah. Like you know how fashion styles kind of go in circles and come back. I'm like, when has like 18th century like opera fashion? I want that now. <laughs> I want to dress like Liberace meets Elton John. Yeah, <laughs> be the best. Um, yeah, so move into trivia, so, uh, Martin Scorsese's, uh, Film Foundation, uh, painstakingly worked on the restoration of this film, uh, there's a lot of info, obviously, out there, a new 4K, uh, digital restoration, including, like, it's basically not just a restoring of the print, it's a brand new edition of the film, they went back that far and kind of really built it up from scratch, and it had its world premiere at the 2014 Venice Film Festival, um... This I found interesting. In addition to Martin Scorsese uh, and Cecil bit DeMille being fans of this film, George Romero, writer-director of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, um, has cited this as his all-time favorite movie. Wow. Yeah, saying that it was the one that originally inspired him into to get into filmmaking.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: I thought that was pretty cool. Um... Michael Powell began working on the project after hearing uh, Thomas Beecham playing this score on the piano and singing all of the parts. Uh,
1: I was going to say, there was one piece of music in it. Um, again, I can't tell you what, which, but the, it was very
0: familiar. At the very end, when it's kind of the merging of the, yeah. the present-day story and the three other narratives kind of melding yeah. together. Yeah. It'll be the music I've used to intro and outro this episode because yeah. <laughs> it's so well known. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's really it for trivia. There wasn't a whole lot out there, uh, unlike most of the other Powell and Pressburger films. But I'll get into the Criterion edition itself. So as I mentioned, uh, so it's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray. Uh, it is a copy of that 4K restoration done by Scorsese. Um, the special features include an audio commentary from 1992 by Scorsese and critic Bruce Etta, uh newly updated by Edda. Uh, it has an interview with director George Romero from 2005. The Sorcerer's Apprentice, a 1956 short musical film based on Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's story and directed by Michael Powell. I want to see the fuck out of that.
1: Sorcerer's that's a Fantasia.
0: Yes, so it's essentially because that was like an old fable and piece, like classic piece of music and stuff. Apparently Michael Powell did a version of it as a short Ooh. film. I want to track that down. Uh, collection of production designer... Hein Heckroth's designs and sketches and paintings for the film, gallery of production, stills, yada, 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 trailer, usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do.
1: Taglines?
0: I've got one. I've got one. Have you got one?
1: Yes. Mine is uh, Fails of Hoffman.
0: <laughs> oh, bam! Because
1: he, he fails all these, like, he, relationships. Yeah, Not I get that's a fail of a film.
0: No, no, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He, he he's he's unlucky in love. He's unlucky in love. Yeah, uh, mine is robots, magicians, sorcery, all singing, all dancing, all action.
1: <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> I like yours better. I always do. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, I guess that'll kind of wrap us up. Like I said, like I, I enjoyed this film quite a bit, um, but just didn't wasn't able to connect with yeah, it. Yeah. I Yeah, I
1: think we're on the same page with this one.
0: Yeah. Uh, But I guess that'll wrap us up. Uh, The next film in the collection is uh, Renée Clare's Forbidden Games, which I've heard quite a bit about and am very, very interested to check out. Uh, So tune in in a fortnight's time for that bad boy. Uh, Otherwise, it's all the usual stuff, the Patreon, the Instagram, all of that, yada, yada, yada. Vote on our
1: tagline. Which one did you like better?
0: Yes, yes. We'll be posting all about that over on the Instagram and stuff. So, yeah. And if you have any taglines of your own, let us know. Uh, Otherwise, Lee, good to have you back. (laughs) Thank you. Good to be here. (laughs) Yep. And uh, for this week's episode, looking at Tales of Hoffman, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time.